You're listening to The Unborn Child by Sean P. Keenan, found at gettingtogod.com. I have no outline for this. I'm nothing written. I read a social media post just 45 minutes ago and had to come out to the car and try and tackle this. I'm talking about abortion. And I'm talking about the choice to either bring a child into this world and try to set up some sort of a loving, compassionate situation for that child to live in, or to work through the strife in a way that touches hearts and minds with an instant, an instant harshness. This is a subject that immediately puts walls between people. And I hate to see it go that way. I I understand where the warring comes from because there's some heavy feelings on both sides of this. I want people to understand that what I speak on abortion, I speak to everyone out of love. I don't want to take one side and bash the other. I know where my stance is. I stand with the unborn child. That doesn't mean I stand against the mother who is in so much desperation and so much strife that she would consider aborting a child, taking a child's life. But I want to tell you my experience. My experience that I had with my own child. And this is basically the story of why I went from someone who thought that everybody should have a choice to siding with the child. The child that has no way of speaking up for itself, no way of defending itself. When those instruments enter its world and do their damage. I worked with kids for 20 some years. I worked with children and families. I've a lot of that career was spent working with infants and toddlers. And I was done. I was done. Here I was, a guy in my early 40s, thinking, nah, there's no way I'm having kids. I had decided like 10 years prior to that. There was no way I was having kids. My health was in the trash. I, it's not great now, but I have energy and, and things physically that I didn't have even just a few years ago that I used to work with my own child. I wrote an article that details my story about Jewel. Um, I'll tell a little bit of it here, but I suggest you go and read that article. It's, it's, it's on the website, gettingtogod.com, under the articles section. And it's called A Child in a Messed Up World, The Story of Jewel. But I'll give you a basic outline. Didn't want kids. And when I found out Grace was pregnant, uh, it, it was a miracle. But it was not one that I was prepared for, and it was not one that I wanted, or that I thought. I didn't think I wanted a kid at that moment. And I was angry. My health was in the trash. I couldn't get out more than, you know, two, three days a week. I could no longer exercise. There was a point at which I wasn't even allowed to drive for like two and a half years, and I was bedridden for, you know, something like three to five days a week for two and a half years. I thought there's just no way. There's just no way I couldn't. And it wasn't that bad when Jewel came along. 
But there was still, in my mind, there was absolutely no possible way that I could handle a child. I wasn't working. We have for years been poor. You know, it's it's just the way it is with us. And when I learned that she was pregnant, when, when, when Grace was pregnant, I was just, I was very upset. With all that pressure behind me, we actually thought about giving the child up for adoption after she was born. And I prayed about it. There was a lot of prayer and, and there were a lot of signs that things were going to be okay. And, and so we had the child and we've kept her and it's been a wonderful experience. It has completely turned around what I thought I could not do. And I'm, I'm 45 years old and I got a three-year-old kid. I'm going to be, you know, something like 60 years old when she graduates high school. We had every reason in a, in a reasonably somewhat normal book, you know, in a, to, to not have a kid. And I know there's other people that have a lot deeper reasons to not have a child. And I get that. And I, I know people. I've got a friend who um, was raped. And she kept the child because she knew it wasn't the child's fault. And I'm not, I'm not comparing people that have abortions to people who don't. I'm just saying that if nothing else, even through adopting, adopting the child out, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel that people can't understand. But that's not the point. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to tell you how it feels as a human being to have that child. And, you know, as a father, you know, I, was, I didn't go through labor. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> I wouldn't dare present myself uh, around any women as someone who understands the pain of labor because I do not. I almost had my hand broken during the birth experience. And I'll tell you what, I had it easy. Anyway, the point is what happened along the way during the pregnancy. And with all my being angry and not wanting this child at first, then came this moment when Grace called me in the bedroom one night and she said, you got to come in here. And she said, I think I can feel movement in my belly. And oh my Lord, that was, that was an incredible moment. It was, it was incredibly hard because I wanted to deny this child in every way. You know, it just wasn't for me. It wasn't that I didn't want to be a loving father. It wasn't that I didn't want to do what was right. I just, in my heart, I didn't want the child. And then I put my hand on Grace's belly when she said that she thought she could feel the child moving. And I sat there for a minute. And I just sat there with my hand on her belly and nothing happened. And nothing happened. And all of a sudden, a few minutes later, just... This tiny, little thing pushed out. And for a little while, I still had trouble accepting it. But I was stunned enough that my heart was open to a change. And then, because when you're a 40-some-year-old woman, you get early ultrasound and you get a lot of ultrasounds. We had like an ultrasound like once a month because they're just naturally worried about an older woman having a child. And... That first ultrasound came, and I saw my child, and I saw the face of this little being, and I had nothing to say for hours after that.
Grace tried to talk to me. I had no responses. I, I had nothing. From the moment I saw my child on that MRI machine to the moment that I was sitting in our living room just constantly thumbing through the little MRI pictures and, and I just, she finally, Grace finally came to me and she just sat down next to me in the living room and she's like, you know, what do you think? What's, what's going on in your head? She didn't, she didn't know. I've been silent for hours. And I just, I just looked at her and I said, we've got to name the child. And I knew that was it. And then I remembered my past and the things that had happened to me that weren't my fault that resulted in a childhood of, 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 of oftentimes torture and in an adulthood of screw-ups and things that had brought consequences into my life that, that were stupid, unnecessary. And from that day on, I put that little child, it was always in the back of the front of my mind, but at least in the back of my mind. And I thought, it's just, it, there's only one way to break that cycle that I went through. And that is to know that it needs to stop and to break that for this child. And I just thought, you know, this little thing, this little thing, it wasn't her. She didn't plan this. She didn't do this. She didn't put this burden on us. She didn't put any burden on us. Because what I learned later was that for every one thing this little child takes, she gives back a thousand. It's hard. It's hard to be a parent, but it's rewarding. It would be hard to give a child up for an adoption, but if you got that child into a good home, it would be rewarding. You'd be a keeper instead of the opposite. Throughout the pregnancy, as the child got older, I, I had these moments where it got to the point where like the last maybe three, four months of the pregnancy, about every, well, every night, for something like an hour to two hours every night, I would lay down next to Grace's belly and Jewel did this thing. It was amazing. She would turn and push her back. Every single time that I would lay down next to her, she would turn and she'd push her back up to me. And I'd sit there and I'd put some oil on my hands and I'd rub the belly right behind her back and, and I'd rub that back, that little back. I'd rub that little back for a while, minute after minute, sometimes like 20, 30 minutes straight. I'd get to the point where I'd be like, oh, she's asleep. And I'd stop. And the second I'd start, she'd stop. She'd start flopping around. And I'd do it again. And she'd push her back back up to me. And then she's, you know, there she was. It got to the point where I, if I didn't have an hour or two a night with my daughter next to me, even though she was still in the womb, with a wall of skin in between her and I, I felt wrong. I felt bad. I felt like I was really missing something in my life. And, and... I needed it because I knew that child. I felt her personality. I felt her humanness. And there were times in the middle of the night when Grace would come to me and she'd be like, she's freaking out. It'd be like 2, 2 3 in the morning. And Grace would be like, she's freaking out. She's tumbling. She's, she's something's wrong. She's upset. And I'd go lay down next to her. She'd put her little back up against me and I'd rub it 
and she'd calm down, and then Grace would sleep. You know, with the exception of running to the bathroom every 10 minutes for at some point in the pregnancy, but everything got more calm. And the point is that those kind of interactions are only interactions that come between one human being and another human being. I knew that child before she was born. I knew every inch of that child's back before she was born. I knew every aspect of that child's little personality before she was born. And she knew me. I would sing to her. I would put headphones up on her belly and, 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 and uh, you know, play things like Coldplay and Bach and different types of music. And, and, and the day she was born, of course, she came out screaming and crying. It's not exactly an easy trip getting the you-know-what squeezed out of you as you're turning purple, being what feels like suffocated on the way out, and then you come out screaming as any human being would, and she gets put up on Grace's chest, and she's crying, 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 and I just walk up, and I'm like, Jewel, and she stops, and she looks for me. And her little eye, tiny eyes, they, they can't even focus yet. They're, they're bouncing back and forth. But she's turning her head to me. And she's turning her eyes to me. And she's trying to find me. And I put my hand on her back. And I'm like, that's it. That's the back. That's the back. That's the little back that I knew. I could feel it. I could recognize it. It's the little back that I knew for three or four months. But the whole experience, what it, what, it, what it taught me was, you know, there she was when she was born, that little tiny human being. It was clearly, she was clearly a human being. When you see her on an ultrasound or you don't see her out of the belly yet, it's like, well, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like this, it's almost like there's this little odd being in there. You can't figure out what's what. You, you know, even when you see the picture of her, it's like, whoa, she looks like a little thing out of a, you know, Wes Craven film or something. And I hope my kid looks pretty because on that ultrasound, she's not looking like the most beautiful little human being. She really is. But, you know, that's the way ultrasounds are. Basic ones. But it hit me. I made all the connection instantly. That this little tiny being that was laying on Grace's chest looking for me. She was just as human. She was just as much of a being. She had just as much of a personality when she was in that womb. Before she was even fully developed, she was a full-fledged human occupied by the spirit. Once I was able to draw lines between the moments when she was unborn, even when she was teeny tiny, you know, like the size of a child's fist and the moment she was born and I see those lines as she grows I see those lines extend outward into her older life and I can draw them all the way back to the moments when she was like the size of a of an apple or something like that you know she was the same little girl she was she, that, that she is today she was the same little girl then when she was so small, you could barely tell it was a human being in there. Again, I say these things out of love. 
Because it's not just, it's not just the aborted child that this is about. It's about what happens to the heart and soul of the woman that makes the choice. And I've known women that have done this. And they were never the same. And they never will be. And they never got over it. They thought it was the right choice. And they never got over it. And I think it's because of a mother's instinct. And a mother's connection to that little being. And at some point, a mother and even a father may be where I was. Where it's like, this is impossible to have a child. This isn't practical. This isn't worth it. This isn't... But it's like any hardship. If you make it to the other side, either way, whether you have that child or abort it, at some point, it's going to become clear that that either is or was a human being. And the love from a parent and from a God that loves us comes through in that experience. And if that love is lost, whether or not that love is lost, knowing what I know now, looking my child in the eyes now, seeing that little human being. I don't even want to imagine what I would have had to do to bury the loss of that love if we would have chosen what that child couldn't have chosen for herself. Thanks for listening. You're listening to The Unborn Child by Sean P. Keenan. Found at gettingtogod.com.